right. Well, I'm pleasantly surprised at the at the number here, and uh, I think I think we'll have a good class. So let's let's just start by opening in prayer, and then we'll start on the syllabus here. We'll go through that. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us and uh, providing this place where we can come together as uh, your children and to study things that are important to help us to grow, uh, to be Christ-like, to be uh, servants, and to uh, be able to defend and uh, hold forth the truth of the gospel. And I pray for each student, Lord, that they will um, try to do their best and maximize their intake of this material. Much of it will be new to them, but uh, Lord, help them and give them understanding and Lord, help me as I attempt to teach this, to say uh, what needs to be said, and uh, to be able to uh, help each one to understand what is being taught. And we give you the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get right to the syllabus. That should be right in the front of your notebook. And I'm going to sit down if you don't mind, because um, without the cheaters, I can't. Uh, print so small I can't read it very well like that and if I'm too far away with these I can't read it either so it's just part of old age I guess all right so the textbook everybody should have either the hard copy or a a Kindle copy okay we're good if you don't have it there's still time to get it but you will need to go through the first chapter by next week all right. Um, so student re- responsibilities, these will help you. They're uh, pretty straightforward. Be in class each week on time, completed assignments. Please ask questions during, before, or after class to clear up any difficult concepts, which there may be uh, some either due to the book or due to the deficiency of the teacher. Uh, be prepared to engage with the assigned material because each week we'll we'll discuss it. Um, bring to class your your notebook, of course, the textbook, pencil or pen to take notes, and and a Bible, either a hard copy or a e Bible. We're going to talk about a uh, a branch of philosophy known as epistemology. And epistemology is how we know what we know. It's the study of knowledge, how knowledge is acquired. I can't look out here at you guys with this. You're all... <clears throat> okay, so um, the, the study of epistemology is really fundamental, not just to, not just to philosophy, but to theology, to law, um, just about every aspect of life. We'll get into more of it here in, in a little bit, but I've given you a, a course description. talks about the book. You can read this on your own if you want. The course objectives here. The student will gain insight to various theories of knowledge and why a Christian perspective brings a more complete understanding of reality. If you're not already aware of the fact, the authors of this book are evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to special revelation. Can we know God through revelation, the Bible? I'm not sure what... um, denomination these fellas are I think one of them is a Baptist so but they both are are committed Christians all right so uh, I think number two here students uh, you'll learn how knowledge is defined and how beliefs are formed the student will learn where knowledge comes from how faith and reason work together there are many misconceptions in that area and I hope we can clear those up uh, Consider various ways of defining truth and how truth claims can be tested. The, the authors give 
some of the tests for truth. But as we go through the book, uh, I plan to supplement some of the things that the book doesn't cover because it is strictly a book on a text on epistemology. It's not on logic. You get into uh, validating logical syllogisms and uh, validating inductive inferences in a course, in a special course on logic. Okay, so, but I think that will be useful for y'all. I found it tremendously useful once you start to understand what uh, fallacies, how fallacies uh, can reveal errors in claims of truth and in claims of uh, every just everyday facets of life, whether it's uh, an advertisement or even a doctoral position, um, all of a sudden you, you learn these uh, these fallacies and uh, how they work. You begin to see them everywhere. <laughs> all right, let's continue on here. Uh, We'll learn how inferences work and how to make correct and valid inferences from real-world examples. The student learn how to perceive the world around us and how perceptions can be misleading. Uh, we'll consider various means and by which beliefs are justified and held as true beliefs. We'll learn the meaning and importance of objectivity and subjectivity in matters of truth and gain insight into the postmodern worldview. And if you were here when... Um, Pastor Marshall taught on that. What was that last fall? He he went through a series. Was it last fall? Last summer? I don't know. Time goes so fast. I can't remember. But uh, if you weren't, you can find them on uh, the church's YouTube channel, and they're well worth watching again. Even if you did, even if you did uh, see them in, at the time. Okay, we'll learn why divine revelation in nature. The incarnation of Christ in the written word can be trusted. And we'll learn about that absolute certainty, though desirable, is seldom attainable. But that Christians can act confidently on the knowledge that's been subjected to test for truth and falsity. Sometimes it bothers uh, some, some Christians that when you say, well, you can't be, we don't have absolute certainty of certain things and that that can be very troubling I hope by the end of this course you'll see that wait a minute that makes sense and I can live the Christian life I can uh, follow the God's word and I can do it confidently and then lastly the student will recognize or realize and appreciate the value of epistemic modesty that's chapter 9 in the book and we'll touch on that a little bit tonight there might even be a quiz question on it next week. <clears throat> okay, the making claims about one's knowledge of a thing may be subject to some revision with continued study. Okay, we've got 11 chapters in the book. I'm looking at the um, paragraph under course methods. And there will be uh, a set of questions at the end of each chapter that after reading the chapter, you'll... Answer the questions in writing, uh, and there'll be just one chapter a week assigned a book. If you've not perused it yet, the text uh, of the chapters totals about 148 pages, so on average, maybe 13 pages or so per chapter. It's um, it's not like the last course where you read hundreds of pages. <laughs> But these pages are packed with information, so in that sense, uh, the reading will probably go slower. All right, put the spectacles back on here. Okay, the answers along with the questions will be written out in complete sentences on separate paper to be turned at the beginning of each class. Um, typewritten uh, submittals are preferred, but if you can write neat and legible, uh, handwritten Papers will be accepted. Okay, the answers to the questions. Don't try and write a term paper. Uh, you know, one to three sentences from what I can uh, 
just gleaned from the book. One to three sentences, well-written sentences should cover it. Um, but you should have sufficient detail and it should explain as uh, completely and coherently as, as you can. All right, then we'll have a, just like every other class we've had, a short quiz will be handed out at the beginning of each class. Take about five minutes. Uh, it'll cover the essential information from the assigned reading and some supplemental stuff that I'm going to plug in. And I'll tell you the stuff that I, that I give you that's in addition to the book, I'll tell you if you need to know that for the quiz, okay? Um, but it's good to know anyway. All right. Uh, let's see, where are we? We'll try to uh, follow a schedule where the first half of the, after the quiz, the first half of the class, we'll discuss the previous chapter, try to clear up any, uh, any problems that we had, look at the, there we go, they're bouncing off the walls again. <clears throat> we'll, we'll, we'll read through the, through the questions and your answers. And then you'll you'll turn them in, and uh, I'll I'll put a grade on them. And then the second half, approximately the last thirty minutes, we'll look ahead to the coming chapter, the one that you'll be reading for the upcoming week. And I'll try to anticipate some questions that you might have, um, maybe define some terms, and give you a little head start there. I didn't mention on the first page back here, my phone number is included and my one of my email addresses. If you call me uh, and I don't have your phone number that you're calling from, uh, my cell phone, because I get so many junk calls, your car warranty has expired and, you know, yeah, you probably wish I would expire, but... <clears throat> Or maybe, no. So I have it set up. If you're not in my phone directory in the phone, it just cancels your call. I see that I, I see there's a number there, but I don't have to listen to it and answer it. So you can send me a text, though, and I will see that uh, you have a question. And I can call you from there. Or I'll have your number at that point, and I'll put it in my... You can also send me an email. Okay? And I'll try to... I'll try to uh, answer promptly, getting back in touch with you promptly. All right, grading system. I know those of you taking it for credit are uh, probably wringing your hands over. I know Caden's last semester says, are you going to make the quizzes hard? <laughs> and the answer is no. <laughs> They'll be like before. True and false and... Pick up, pick a letter. There might, on a rare occasion, there might be fill in the blank. Okay? So, um, we've got a chart at the, at the uh, couple pages down. So, okay, each weekly quiz, we'll earn one point for each correctly answered question. Typically, four to eight questions per quiz. And what I'll probably do to make the arithmetic easy, not that I need easy arithmetic, but it'll, it'll just make the numbers come out nice. We'll have five questions pretty much every week. And there might be six or seven on there. And so I might let you pick one of the ones for extra credit. Okay, I might... Depends on what they are. I might say, okay, these are the five you need to answer, the first five, and then the second two, you can choose one for extra credit. Is that good? Okay. All right. Okay, no makeup quizzes. That's pretty much a hippie policy. Uh, extra credit questions sometimes. If you're going to miss a class... Um, You'll see when we get to the chart here that at worst you'll lose five points. And there's a couple hundred points available for the whole class. So it won't even cost you a letter grade. And you can even make up some of those, make up those five points with an extra credit here and there. So you should be able to do well. 
Now, in the event that everybody misses one of the quiz questions, and no collusion on this now, <clears throat> no collusion. Uh, of course, you won't know what they are ahead of time, hopefully. But uh, if everybody misses a question because uh, it's just misleading, sometimes they, they can be, or poorly stated, we'll just give you credit for it, or we'll uh, just throw it out. Okay? Because teachers don't know everything, and teachers make mistakes. So I hope you'll allow me grace, and I will allow you grace too, okay? Okay, page three. Uh, signed homework. We talked about that, answering the questions at the end of the, each chapter. The first homework will be a little bit, a little bit different because there's only two uh, questions at the end of the first chapter, and um, I'll I'll cover that in a minute. We'll have a little biblical, a little Bible assignment for you to fill in three more questions, and it'll it'll be easy, and it'll be uh, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. So the grading, um, we have the. I think this is pretty typical, is it, Pastor Drew? Yeah. 90 to 100, A, 80, 89B, etc. All right. Uh, a couple of you have asked about honors credit, and I think that is honorable <laughs> to want to do that. And so a little extra effort is obviously a requirement for getting uh, an honors um, recognition. And so we have two requirements, minimum point average for an, of 95%. It's a little higher standard. And then either complete uh, and submit a research paper on a topic or in lieu of that, because this topic would probably be difficult, uh, but you, something may come to mind in the next couple of weeks. And that, that's fine if you want to do that. Some of you are good writers and good researchers. But in lieu of that, and whether you're taking the course for credit or not, uh, I would encourage you to, and I'll give you the, I'll give you an update when it when the more information is available. But there's a Christian apologetics conference. It'll be here in Rock Hill this year instead of in South Charlotte. I've been to at least seven of them uh, at the big pink church, the Calvary Church, uh, just up in Pineville. And it supposedly is the largest apologetics conference, annual conference in the world. And it is fantastic. People come from all over the world to go to it. And since it's going to be right here in Rock Hill, you don't have to fight Pineville traffic. It'll be on a Friday and a Saturday. And I, I, think, you'll, I think you'll find it tremendously helpful. And so if you choose that as your honors uh, credit option, then you'll simply submit, uh, and it's two days, but you only really need to go to one one of the days if you have school on Friday and you can't get out of school. Um, going on Saturday will be fine. We'll probably take the church van. I have Trail Life Boys going every year, too. Did you go once, Kevin? No. Did we not? Did we not uh, go that year? What was the deal? I did, but I, I was out of town. Yeah, okay. Um, but uh, Mr. Edenhofer has been a couple times, and his son Adam have been a couple of times. And what do you think, Dan? No, well worth it. Yeah. And if it does cost, I think, students or $50, $55, something like that, if there's a financial problem with anybody, um, I certainly will help out, and I get two free tickets every year anyway, because I'm one of the, I'm not a founder of the seminary, but I'm on Southern Evangelicals, their founder circle, okay, so the seminary's founder circle. All right, um, uh, policy and late work, same as usual, right there, these three things. Uh, further study. I got a list of, of books here, and there are just hundreds of them you could put on the list. But uh, some of these are 
couple of these are in the in the back of this book here. And so I'm familiar with most of these on the page here. So, all right, semester schedule. <clears throat> if all goes well, we'll we'll finish on April the 27th. And I say, if all goes well, hopefully with all the COVID and sicknesses going around, we don't have a setback. What do we do in that case? Do we extend it a week? If there's a lot of people out, like the teacher, <laughs> how, what do we do in that case? Okay. Right. Well, if we had more than likely, if if it does happen, it probably would be a week, right? So. Okay, that's that's a good point too. So you see here, we do have two weeks of spring break, and then we come back. All right. So I won't read all that. You can read then the next page on page five. Here's the grading system. I did this on a Excel type spreadsheet. The total points might might vary a little bit because I might we might see a need to uh, adjust the number of homework questions to see that there's a couple of weeks where there's only three. This coming week there's only two, but we're going to add three to it. We'll, you'll see how that works. And then um, 253 points to get a 95. Uh, you need 240 to get a 90, 228. Okay, not too hard. And if you if you want a copy of the, if you have Excel or something like that, and you want a copy of it so you can kind of keep track of your own. I can I can send you. I use Open Office, which is uh, it can be converted to Excel, and then you can just plug in your own grades. Okay. All right, so <clears throat> let's begin. We review the syllabus now. So uh, when you hear the word philosophy, what ideas come to mind? What do you think of first? I'm not going to give you the answer. I will, but is it positive? Do you have a positive or not? Well, the quote I've got up there is not very positive. Mark Cameron was a professor of mine at Bible College years and years ago, and I wrote this down in the front of my Bible in one of his classes. And I'm not sure where he got this from. I don't think it's original with him, but I thought it was really clever. Philosophers like a blind man looking in a dark room for a black cat that isn't there. <laughs> is that a fair assessment? But I want you to see something with this, though. This is, an, this is an assertion. This is a truth claim. We can test this. Neat, no? Okay. We have some Bible verses, though, that seem to indicate uh, some justification for that view. Paul wrote, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Well, there's kind of a negative connotation there, wouldn't you say? And then, uh, also Paul, in Athens, he encountered Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So that, so far, we're 0 for 3 here for saying something positive about philosophy. So, is studying philosophy a waste of time? Um, I put a quote in there uh, from a Kevin Steves. Somebody want to read the first paragraph for us? You've got it in your in your notebook. Did any did everybody get a notebook? Who wants one? Uh, yeah, let's. We're on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're on your first class. Your your first class. Okay, we got we got past. If, if your pages are in order, we um, you have the syllabus. Then you've got the schedule. Then you've got the grading system. Okay, and then we're we're starting class one. Okay, 
And every week we'll give you a couple more pages to add to that. I don't have exactly what you've got. I've got cheat, cheat notes here. Because an old guy like me, I can't remember everything that I'm supposed to do. I need help. Okay, so uh, is studying philosophy a waste of time? There's a quote underneath that. You want to read the first paragraph, Pastor Drew? Philosophy is a waste of time. Worse than that, the study of philosophy, when taken seriously, impedes scientific progress, undermines moral conviction, and erodes the very sense of patriotism and loyalty necessary for a thriving democratic republic such as ours. Wow. That's quite an indictment. (laughs) All right. Well, let's read... Let's continue reading. Um, somebody want to read the second paragraph? Any volunteers? Squeak up. Okay. Uh, there was a time Mr. Kurt. It was so wedded to common sense, religious morality, and civic duty that it acted as a corrective to fanatical excesses, excesses and thoughtless irrational commitments. Here, the therapeutic value of philosophy could be seen in that it encouraged thoughtful, careful dialogue with an eye to to solving real, practical problems facing the community and advancing collective human wisdom. The goal of philosophical speculation was gaining a deeper understanding of the world and our place in it, not mere fancy or system building. Nor was it the sowing of seeds of doubt and distrust for no other reason than self Agendizement. Uh, the, <laughs> the clever were not confused with the wise, and the, the tree was not known by its fruit. Okay, and then the last paragraph. Okay, Cadence. Such is not the case today. In our present academic philosophical climate, any wild speculative nonsense is given serious consideration, regardless of how absurd the position, how impractical the consequences, how immoral the implications. Further, these pseudo-inquiries are not seen as skeptical challenges to our present conception of the truth, but rather challenges to our ever being able to delineate anything as the truth. Okay, and I gave you the uh, reference if you want to read the rest of the article. It's uh, Kevin Steves, and the URL is there. And there's also another one by Olivia Goldhill, uh, and the title of her article is Why Are So Many smart people such idiots about philosophy they're both a good read now uh, concerning our passage from from the apostle paul uh, in colossians there this is from the bible knowledge commentary and norman geisler who had a phd in philosophy and he was one of the founders of Southern Evangelical Seminary and co-founder of the church where the apologetics conference uh, has been held. Um, he wrote the commentary uh, for the book of Colossians in this Bible knowledge commentary book set, this one for the New Testament. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I know Pastor Drew is. He probably refers to it often. Dr. Fant and Pastor Marshall both have copies of, of this commentary. Um, the Old Testament's about this thick, and the New Testament's about this thick. It's worth it's worth getting if you want to um, get some a, another commentary with good fundamental uh, scholars, uh, their 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 input into some of these passages. And so, Dr. Geisler's. Uh, thoughts here uh, that these were uh, Paul was concerned with these false teachers that they would take the Colossian believers captive through their hollow and deceptive philosophy and he wrote here not against all philosophy but against false philosophy as the Bible also speaks against false religion the particular false philosophy at Colossae was hollow, was empty, deceptive, and based on human tradition rather than on Christ. True Christian philosophy takes captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. We'll see that in the next screen. Uh, but if one loves wisdom, that's not, that's not Christ, the sum of all wisdom. He loves an empty idol. 
Such one will always be learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. This kind of philosophy is based on the world's basic principles, the stoichia, elementary principles, or elemental spirits. And so he gives some more references there. And uh, here's what he means. Philosophy, philo, love, Sophia, and our precious Sophia sister's not here. <laughs> she spells it with an F as they do in Spanish, but her name means knowledge or wisdom. Did you know that? I'm sure she knows that. All right. <clears throat> so we have a lot in the scripture. The best philosophy book is the Holy Bible. I have no reservations about saying that. And here we read the proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a reason why I have these words in different colors. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. These are worth memorizing, by the way. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So we have four terms here. Biblical terms, instruction, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Now, I haven't found them in this order in the Scripture, but I think this is a logical order. When you think about how we learn, small children are instructed, you go to school, you gain knowledge, but the knowledge isn't that useful until you have a more thorough understanding, and then when you apply the fear of the Lord to this, recognizing that we are... God's children are responsible to Him morally. And we have a, not only, uh, we have, we have a duty, but we have an account, we have accountability too. And so, what is, what is the fear of the Lord? What, what does, what does the scripture mean by the fear of the Lord? Well, the scripture actually gives us definition, but, uh, we will put it here. It's a reverential respect, trust, confidence. And then the last line here, you can get this in a number of different scriptures in, in, uh, in the Psalms, Psalm 119. One who fears the Lord loves what God loves and hates what God hates. Okay? Well, you know, like it or not, <clears throat> we're all philosophers. Every one of us. Everyone is a philosopher. And we all have some favorite subjects or ideas, some hobby horse that we want to champion. Whether it's our favorite football team or basketball team or... Uh, some people, I like Fords. I'm going to drive a Ford all my life. I'm a Chevy guy myself. Okay, So, those are assertions. Those are, in a sense, truth claims. And they're subject to being tested. From a very early age, kids make inferences about the way things are. And I found this photograph on the internet quite a while ago. And it reminded me of a story about my little boy, who would have been 35 last Saturday. He was at the mall with his mom and saw a police officer. He was about four, about the age of this little guy. And he walks up to the police officer and looks at him, points to his uh, holstered sidearm and says, I have a squirt gun too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just assumed that this is what the police officers have, right? He has a squirt gun too. Give you another one, a little more poignant. When I moved here, I transferred from the engineering office in Atlanta to the one here in Rock Hill, and my new boss, uh, his son was four, Garrett was four at the time, and he was into cars, and and, of course, I had the Charlie Brown car, and I had a 
I was into kind of some performance cars too. And, and so his dad's telling me about, yeah, Garrett, he's got this idea that the more tailpipes on, that there are on the back of the car, the faster it is. <laughs> so, okay, you have one tailpipe. Yeah, that's what Charlie Brown has, a small. Yeah, the more there are, the bigger they are. So I just had a little soda straw for a tailpipe on a Charlie Brown car, but he sees the newer Corvettes with four tailpipes. Yeah, so is that, uh, is that cute or not? <laughs> okay, so why, why should we study philosophy then? Uh, I pulled this quote up and it's, it's on your study sheet there from Dr. William Lane Craig, probably my favorite philosopher. Uh, he said this, churches are filled with Christians who are idling and intellectual neutral. As Christians, their minds are going to, going to waste. One result of this is an immature, superficial faith. People who simply ride the roller coaster of emotional experience are cheating themselves out of a deeper and richer Christian faith by neglecting the intellectual side of that faith. They know little of the riches of deep understanding of Christian truth, of the confidence inspired by the discovery that one's faith is logical and fits the facts of experience, of the stability brought to one's life by the conviction that one's faith is objectively true. That's from his book, uh, Reasonable Faith. Okay, what does what does the uh, Apostle Peter tell us here? We have a mandate. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. How many of you know that verse? A couple folks. All right, what's what's he what's he saying here? He says, "Be ready to give a defense." That's the the Greek word, and my Greek isn't very good. I only had a year of Greek, many couple decades ago, and I forgot ninety nine percent of it. But it's the word apologia. It means to make a defense, and so we get our word apologetics from it. Apologetics is making a defense, in our case, for the Christian faith. Now, there are other religions. Uh, Muslims also have apologetics to defend the faith of Islam. And I have a book uh, I haven't read yet, but I I read contrarian stuff now and then. Uh, And it's, I forget who the author is, but the title is Why Buddhism is True. So that, that could be a topic for a good research paper right there for somebody. <clears throat> Not that I'm going to recommend it to you. All right, then we have something else here. This sounds a little different. For the weapons of our warfare, from Brother Paul, he says, are not carnal, but mighty. In God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do you see what that's saying? That's quite a, that's quite a statement. We can, I've read through that so many times, and yeah, okay, so our weapons aren't carnal. Yeah, we're not going out with a sword, and, and like... Uh, some religions have done and are, and are doing to uh, convert people at the point of the sword under duress. But we are still in a war. A war of ideas. A war for truth. And we have weapons at our disposal. And yeah, I know we can go and we can hit somebody over the head with the Bible. You know, they call us Bible, they used to call us Bible thumpers. But within that Word of God, we have uh, many, many, as we have read, uh, recommendations for how to go about it. And so we have apologetics, that's making a defense. And then we have, uh, in a loose sense, we have polemics. This 
uh, is going on the offense. Now, it doesn't mean to be offensive, but we can not only are we to make a defense for what we believe, but we can also bring down the strongholds of false belief by using what we're going to be taught in this book to reveal the fallacies of false belief. Now, the first place we need to start is to analyze our own beliefs. Now, we're Baptists. We have brothers who are Presbyterian, sisters, Lutherans, and uh, Methodists, uh, Nazarenes. We all hold to the same fundamental truths, but we all can't be right about the minor stuff, right? So how do we arrive at, our, at, at what we believe about water baptism as opposed to sprinkling? Uh, some of these issues. It all works into theology. And I know, Pastor Drews, you've had systematic theology, right? I think you saw Wayne Grudem's book. Okay. Um, I have Lewis Berry Schaefer's set. And there's several others. Uh, William Lane Craig is coming out with a philosophical systematic theology. It'll probably be three or four hundred bucks. <laughs> so I'll have to save my load up my piggy bank, save my piggy bank. All right, so we are we are commanded to be able to pull down these strongholds. And if you've not heard a good debate between a Christian and an atheist, um, you can go on YouTube and look up William Lane Craig. And he is a gift to the church. God has gifted him with a brilliant mind. Uh, he has two earned, maybe three now, doctorates. Uh, his first one he got in England. He did it on the Kalam cosmological argument. And I might, uh, at some point when we get to deductive reasoning, uh, this is not a course on logic, but he does discuss deductive, inductive, and abductive reasoning in one of the chapters coming up pretty soon. And just to demonstrate, I may go through uh, Dr. Craig's Kalam cosmological argument that he defended for his first doctoral dissertation. Anyway, um, he has debated Richard Dawkins, uh, Christopher Hitchens, who wasn't a believer, but he is now, whether he's in heaven or hell. I doubt if he's in heaven. He was uh, he was a... Uh, one of the new atheists, one of the aggressive atheists, and many others. Some other atheists that he has um, debated. Eric Wielenberg is a man to pray for. He has, Eric Wielenberg is a, uh, is a scholar. He's a humble atheist, not one of these new atheists. And Dr. Craig uh, debated him on objective moral standards. It was a wonderful debate. And during that debate, uh, Dr. Craig brought up the, uh, to, the, to the audience that was friends. He said, some may not know, but Dr. Wielenberg uh, is well-versed in some Christian literature. He even teaches C.S. Lewis in his, in his college. And he said to Professor Wielenberg, he says, I hope that you'll work through this. His his problem, Dr. Wielenberg's problem was the with with theism was the issue of pain and suffering, a a moral argument that he uh, attempted to use to discount belief in God. And if we ever do a course in apologetics, I do it with the Trail Life Boys. I've covered it with them, but um, we we can discuss that, I guess, at another time. But anyway, he said to Dr. Wielenberg, he said, um, he said, I, I, I hope and I pray that you'll work through this uh, difficulty you're having with uh, the moral issue, this pain and suffering issue, and that you will come to faith and to believe in God and to faith in Christ. said that right during the debate. And it was sincerely given and sincerely taken. Uh, 
You never know. It's, uh, but it's a blessing to listen to these uh, debates and watch them. I listen to them on podcasts. All right, so we have apologetics and we have polemics. And so we have some important terminology. When I say this, that's a hint. It could be, <laughs> it could show up, it could show up on a quiz. Okay, metaphysics is one word that uh, is used quite often in the text. And it's, you can look it up in a dictionary or uh, on the internet. You'll get a few different definitions of it. But it comes from the idea of physics. There's there's a fellow, he's... Uh, I think he's in charge of Fermilab, where they do. Uh, it's, they have a, a cyclotron or an atom smasher at, at Fermi, so they do uh, quantum mechanics and uh, particle physics. And Dr. Don Lincoln, and at the end of his his uh, videos, he says, uh, "Remember, physics is everything." And that, <laughs> you know, the first time I heard that, I thought, well, that sounds pretty much like he's a strict materialist. <laughs> but if you take it, and I and I, I try to, as hopefully we'll, we'll learn, I, I try to give the a person some benefit of the doubt. Maybe he just means that the material world, physics is everything, and that would be true. It's it's everything. But it's not all of reality. Metaphysics is everything, including non-material reality. And generally, when we talk about metaphysics, we're, we quite often refer to the immaterial aspect of reality. And so you see some of these listed here. Uh, abstract concepts, uh, such as being, knowing, substance, cause, identity, time and space, the mind... Soul, will, intention, intentionality. You don't find that in physics. I don't care what kind of equipment you've got, whether you've got a, uh, you go to the Hadron Collider and you look at the, at the uh, scatter patterns from when they collide uh, protons and that thing and try, they found the Higgs boson, but they haven't found cause. Uh, time, identity, mind, soul, morals. I haven't found that in physics. And they never will find it in physics. They won't find God in physics either. But that doesn't mean it's not real. Okay, then the other one here that's uh, on your sheet is inductive method. And that's primarily what we use in logic, in science, and in philosophy, in determining the um, the value of a of a statement, in assessing the the truth of a of an assertion, most of the time it'll be an inductive method, and you need to be familiar with that. You won't need to. You won't have to write out a definition. Uh, there'll be. You'll read it, and you'll you'll see where it where it comes up. Uh, all right. I'm going to step out of this for a second and open the Kindle app on the textbook. And let me go to full screen here. Can you see that like that? Way in the back? Do I need to stretch it some more? I can just go to full screen. All right. Page down here. Okay, there's the word metaphysics. What this chapter does, um, it's it's an outline of the book, and so the the author will he's got some interesting and entertaining discussion here. But um, here I got highlighted. Francis Bacon introduced a new method of gaining knowledge, the inductive method. That's a pretty good paragraph right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. 
what's this book for? Let's go on down. He talks about the different chapters. Chapter 1 is will be the one that you read this week. He discusses, you'll get into this. Pretty much, I'm not going to ask you things from the chapter summaries. But when we get to, and I won't ask you this because we'll get to this in chapter 6, direct realism, indirect realism, representationalism, a lot of terminology. Uh, Here's more uh, internalist, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9. This one is very important. And it's about uh, episodes. Epistemological virtue or intellectual virtue. When we interact with someone, as uh, Peter said, that we want to speak the truth in love. Though we may have the ability to hammer them with an argument, we want to be gracious. And we also... Those with whom we disagree, we want to, if we're presenting their view and they're not here to defend it, we want to present their view in the strongest, fairest possible way, even though we disagree with it. That's not always done. Even by believers, that's not always done. Quite often, uh, we'll find that Someone will take a view and they'll just um, take the weaker aspects of that view and attack it. That's called a a straw man fallacy. That's a freebie. It won't be on the exam, but you'll get it. That's called a straw man fallacy. And that's not Christ-like. And it's certainly not scholarly. Okay, so... You'll want to pay attention to this this part right here in in this chapter because uh, he explains how intellectual qualities like studiousness, humility, honesty, courage, and carefulness aid and assist us in properly apprehending the world in which we live. In other words, these intellectual qualities help us to see clearly and avoid epistemological error, and also offending someone. And we, we want to be humble in this. That's one of those, that's one of those virtues. Okay, good enough. Uh, let me back out of that. Let's go back to PowerPoint because we have a couple more slides here. Now, Okay, we did this slide. Let me say something about certainty. This is sometimes troubling, and there's not a discussion in the book about about this in particular, although he talks about certainty all through the book. But it's philosophical certainty. There is theological certainty, and I do not have an official definition of this, but I put this together, however right or wrong it is. Uh, I do have a reference down below, Theological Certainty, Assurance of Salvation, from the purelypresbyterian.com website. And their belief is a little different from ours, but uh, you'll hear an invitation given by Pastor Drew or Marshall or Pastor Hibbs, and say, if, if you're not 100% sure that you're going to heaven, um, then you, you, need to, you need to trust Christ. And that is what we call theological certainty. I have 100% confidence that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Okay? I have Theological certainty. Why? Because I have confidence that the Bible is the word of God and that uh, it says what it says, it means what it says, and it's clear. 
Not everything in the Bible is clear. But we do have clarity on the existence of the God of the Bible, being the true God, the deity of Christ, his incarnation, his sinless life, sacrificial death, and his bodily resurrection. Now, philosophical certainty, if I was talking to an atheist, and um, some people might be surprised by what I'm about to say, but I'm not the first one to say this. Dr. Craig, in fact, even said this in a debate with Lawrence Krauss, uh, a uh, scientist, an atheist scientist who's a, uh, a theoretical physicist. And he asked Dr. Craig, is this... And, and Krauss was certain he was going to say 100% certain. He wouldn't, he wouldn't back off of that. But he asked Dr. Craig, he says, are you 100% certain that God exists? And Dr. Craig says, no, I'm not 100% certain that God exists. There's a you know, finite chance that he doesn't. That's philosophical certainty. Is there a possibility that given the arguments that atheists have that they might be right and uh, all the dozens and zillions of arguments that has on Christianity side or theism side that all those could be wrong? Yeah, there's there's a possibility. But I tell you, it's so slim, I, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I'm going with it. All right? And so is Dr. Craig and hopefully all of us. So don't let that bother you, okay? And then uh, I decided to put this one in. It makes you up again. It won't be on the test. But I really like this quote. It's modernized a little bit. It reads a little different in the, in the translation in 1910 from the French. But this is the way it's uh, expressed in um, Frank Turek's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. <laughs> Blaise Pascal was a philosopher, theologian, mathematician, a brilliant man. If you're familiar with the Pascal's wager, um, that's, that's who uh, authored that uh, argument to persuade people to believe in the God of the Bible. But he says, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Boy, does that sound like today? Well, yeah, and it sounded like yesterday and the last century and the 17th century also. Okay? So, one last thing. This is your assignment. Read the preface, chapter 1 of the textbook. Answer the two questions at the end of chapter 1. And then, using a concordance, this is in your instructions, you're using a concordance, look up and read all the New Testament passages containing the word truth, and choose three of those passages for discussion in class. And on the page that you write your two question answers, um, write out your thoughts, a few sentences, okay? And then submit those, and we'll talk about that next week, okay? Any questions? Have we done it? Are we still on board? You going to stay with it? <laughs> Anybody looking to bail? <laughs> All right. Let's close in prayer. Um, Pastor Drew, would you close for us? Our Father, we are grateful for your love for us. I would thank you for this class. Lord, we can come and learn about uh, thinking and philosophy and uh, Lord, just knowing what we believe. God, I pray that you would help each of us that we would be, um, would, our, our hearts and our minds would be open, and Lord, that we learn a lot this semester. I pray you bless uh, in every in every respect. Lord, I pray for health and for safety for each one. I pray that you would just give us uh, good recollection and uh, good uh, study skills, or we apply ourselves appropriately. And I pray you bless us as we go home. Thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One last thing. How many of you are taking this for credit? One, two, three, four. Four. Okay. You got time. Okay, so four. And the rest of you do an audit. That makes my work easier. It's got less 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 grades to keep track of. Miss how many of you know how many of you know how many of you know Miss Amanda Hall? She I, I'm kind of nervous with her in the class a little bit because she's a she's a college professor. I'm telling on you, and so uh, anyway.
She's taking lots of notes and shaking her head. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, she's a dear friend of mine, and I'm thankful for her friendship, her encouragement, and uh, glad that she is able to take the class. Hopefully, she'll be able to come every week. She's a busy lady. All right. Thank you all. Have a blessed week.